character. Okay. Hello to all you wonderful people out there who are trying to make the world a better place. Welcome to the Dead Man Walking podcast. I am your host, repeatedly dead Fred, author of the soon-to-be-released memoir, The Summer I Died 20 Times, which is why I'm called Repeatedly Dead Fred, because that's what happened to me. Today, I am fortunate to have uh, Jeff Dennis with me. And Jeff has a fascinating story because he's been, he hits all my marks. He's, he's an author. He's a business person. He's helping people reinvent themselves through the pandemic. And he gives good advice for the most part. <laughs> so, Jeff, thanks for being on the show. Glad to have it's you. My, my pleasure. It's great to be here. So, Jeff, one of the things that fascinated me about you is your book um, is one of those things that's old that's become new again. You know, e even though you said it's it's a little on the older side, it's full of of value and guidance for people in the current situation who are reinventing themselves after the pandemic, because there's never been a better time or an easier time to become an entrepreneur. So do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with that? Sure. Um, yeah. I, I, the thing about the book is that these are kind of very typical problems. So the book is called Lessons from the Edge, and it's a it's a collection of stories by entrepreneurs of their biggest screw-ups in business and the lessons that they learn. Mm -hmm. And what we realized in doing the interviews and trying to figure out, like, what are these lessons that, you know, keep happening over and over again that need to be highlighted so that people, you know, don't make these mistakes uh, again and again, was that, you know, mostly these mistakes are being made because people are making decisions with some sort of limitation in terms of resources. Mm -hmm. It's limited time, it's limited money, it's limited people, if they don't have the right partners, they just don't, you know, it's like driving in a fog, you can't see where you're going, and you're going to hit things. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do with the book is kind of lift the fog a little bit and let people see what the pitfalls are. And so the reason it's still relevant is that people continue to make the same mistakes for the same mm -hmm. reasons, because nothing's changed. Um, so, you know, there's five chapters, there's a chapter on sort of the personal stuff and leadership. Um, and there's a chapter on finance and a chapter on partners and a chapter on, uh, people like hiring and finance. And then the last one is the personal, like health, wellness, that sort of stuff. And there's mm -hmm. 10 stories by 10 different entrepreneurs that kind of fall into those, uh, chapter categories. And each one has a lesson. And uh, like I said, they're pretty universal lessons because people are faced with these challenges and with these limited resources. So do you have a particular favorite lesson that you've learned from one of these things? Like somebody was just, you know, an epic failure at picking partners, um, which is, to be honest, not out of the realm of possibility because when you go to business school, nobody teaches you about how to select a partner. Actually, in business school, you don't really learn a lot about management and leadership at all. So, Well, you're, you're right. Um, what I found was that people spend less time interviewing their partners than they do key employees, mm -hmm. right? Like, because usually a partnership evolves because, you know, you've got this exciting new project 
And, mm -hmm. you know, people are passionate about it and everybody's kind of throwing in in the early days where it's creativity and brainstorming and, you know, all of that stuff. But then, you know, you get into business and you're into the tough slogging. So you're making these decisions based on, you know, your vision, maybe their vision, maybe they're not even the same. Yeah, and you're focused on the product and the customer and not on the relationship and the roles and responsibilities and and so on. And then eventually you kind of pull your head up and people start feeling like, oh, I'm contributing. He's she's not. I'm you know, I don't agree with this. They're not very ethical. They don't have mm -hmm. a good work ethic. I mean, whatever the the, you know, friction is, they never talked about it. When you interview employees, you, you make them take tests and you have multiple interviews and you read their resumes. You don't do any of that with partners. You're, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're getting married first and then you're doing the courtship. Um, so it's like a marriage. It's easy to get into, but really messy to get out of. So, you know, the lesson there was just take your time and, and go through some sort of process to make sure that you share the same values and that you share the same timelines and you share the same ethic and vision for the business and, mm -hmm. you know, spend some time on that because it's hard to get out of it if you make a mistake for and sure. get a shareholders <laughs> agreement because it'll usually have some kind of shotgun clause or something so that if it doesn't work out, you have a way to get out. That's a very common problem as a lawyer that mm -hmm. we see because you know, again, people get into these businesses, they build this thing, they don't have any paper, and then they get into a fight, and, you know, it's hard to, like, put Humpty Dumpty back together again. For sure. Now, I, I don't have your breadth of business experience, but I have seen a lot of situations where entrepreneurs just don't understand forecasting, and they sort of assume we've opened our business, and we're going to grow at X amount per year, because we're just going to pick a number out of the sky. And, you know, their cash flows are totally unrealistic and their growth model is totally unrealistic and their ways of managing inventory or, or whatever, or their service or onboarding new staff just don't match up because they have a vision and they get so invested in the vision that they don't understand that, just because you say something's going to grow at 10% a year doesn't mean it will. Like you have to, you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah, underlying I, model. I, I agree. I think, listen, the problem with a lot of entrepreneurs is that they're salespeople, you know, mm -hmm. they're creative. So they find it hard to keep a regular job um, mm -hmm. because they are creative and they're problem solvers. And, you know, they just have sort of a certain, characteristic about them that wants to be on their own and, and doing their own thing, controlling their own destiny. But it doesn't mean that they have financial acumen. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that they necessarily have leadership skills. Just because you got an idea about a product and you're passionate about it, or you're a good salesperson, doesn't mean you know how to run a business. And running a business mm -hmm. is a very different exercise. So I completely agree with you. You know, when we look at startups and early stage companies um and i look at the financial projections you know i try to work with the companies that, that i'm helping by putting myself in the shoes of an investor like what what do they want to and it's all going to come down to the assumptions right mm -hmm. if these assumptions 10 percent growth in your example are realistic 
and they can be defended because there's a pipeline or there's some, you know, concrete evidence that these numbers have some substance and some reality. Um, otherwise, we send them back to the drawing board because, you know, a, a savvy investor is not going to fall for that. And, yeah. you know, that's a big pitfall for them is that they're dreamers. And they also have limited resources. I come back to what I said earlier. They haven't hired a CFO and they haven't hired, you know, a VP operations or or whatever. So they mm-hmm. probably don't even have the experience to know what, you know, the cost of overhead is an administrative cost or the cost of acquiring a customer in a SaaS business and, and all of that sort of stuff. Like, unless you have, have experience and understand it, like, you know, what are you doing? You're looking it up on Google. Guess yeah, I, I found when uh, people were lucky enough to get FaceTime with uh, a venture capitalist, they, I would tell them, you know, if your numbers are crap, they're gonna know. They might still be interested in your idea because they think it might have some merit, but they're gonna send you back to the drawing board to to redo everything. And as a creative or a visionary, you're gonna hate this process. And you know, they're not there to be your friend. They are there to make a profit and they want to have their exit strategy planned and know in the, what's your typical three to five years that people want to get out by generally. And it might be a little longer in the earlier stage stuff could be eight years, but yeah, I mean, yeah. these are long-term investors, but I completely agree with you. I, I mean, you're hundred percent right. The thing is that especially in the early stage, people are investing in people, mm-hmm. right? So if you show up and don't, know what the hell you're doing and your numbers are make no sense and you you know they're going to see that you're not the leader that can take this thing over the goal line so mm-hmm. again that people invest in people so you got to know your numbers they got to make sense you got to have a clear vision and if you don't then you got to find people to help you build that team that can answer all those questions mm-hmm. and occasionally the investor can point you to somebody that might be a better partner for you um, that can help you with the areas that you see you're weak in because they think the idea is actually sound, even though you haven't been able to package it properly. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Listen, investors, it's it's always a good idea to get on their radar screen. So sometimes I advise people go see the potential investor before mm-hmm. you're ready. Tell them, you know, you're not ready, but you'd like to. Yeah be on their radar screen and you'd like to get some feedback so that what it would take for me to be ready. And then, you know, they're not, you know, people are funny. If, if you're in with your hand out looking for money, they'll lean away. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking for help, they'll lean forward. And if you can get somebody to lean forward and take an interest in you and follow you for a year, or 18 months, as you get your ducks in a row, then when you come back and it's the right time, it's, it's first of all, it's a warm meeting, warm introduction. Mm-hmm. And secondly, they've been following your progress. You'll say, look, I said I'd do this, this, and this. Well, we not only did this, this, and this, but we did this too. Mm-hmm. Now they can see that you can execute. That you're not a stranger to them. They've watched you for a year or so, and they may be more willing to write a check. And you're right. They could point you in the direction of, you need this kind of help and maybe you want to talk to these people or here's a potential partner for you or whatever. So I think it's a great idea to get out in front of this, but be open because if you go in 
and, you know, talk to a senior financial person and you're not ready and you present like you think you're ready, that's worse than going at all. So better you should go in and be humble and modest and ask for help and advice. And then the relationship changes from Dr. No to a mentor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll be like the worst first date of your life. (laughs) It really will be if you, if you, you know, don't go in properly prepared. So you've been on this from, you know, both the advisor side and the investor side and the actual business owner side because you've had a number of startups and you have a very interesting one coming up right now uh, that's involved in the health field. So do you want to tell the audience a little bit about that venture? Yeah. So um, I guess there's, it kind of brings together two issues um, that that are interesting to me. First, our, our son, uh, for the last mm. 10 years has struggled with Lyme disease. And if anybody knows oh, anything wow. about chronic Lyme disease, it can be pretty mm. debilitating. And And he's had a hard time. And uh, and uh, it's been challenging uh, to find answers and solutions and yeah. and so forth. Um, he's doing better now. He just got married a couple of weeks ago. So he's, oh, he's doing much better. Thank you. And we're pretty excited about that. Uh, but for a long time, it didn't look as if that might ever happen. So we're, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a real blessing. Um, but one of the things we learned through this experience is there's like, where do you go for help? Where do you go to find answers? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for people with Lyme and other chronic illnesses, the, the traditional medical system, these people fall between the cracks. And I don't want to get into the why, because we could be here all day on that. But suffice yeah. to say, there's lots of people out there with different issues that are searching for answers and they go to Facebook and, you know, the algorithm does its magic and they don't necessarily find what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to, so we take that. And then I saw this software called shop type and shop type is quite revolutionary because it changes the uh, e-commerce business going from sort of the last click affiliate type of program where the last click gets three or five percent from amazon mm-hmm. to multi-touch attribution where they can split commissions amongst multiple people and create a decentralized sales force so i took those two ideas because struggling with the health issue and then you know living in the tech world my head exploded and i just said there's a huge opportunity so what we've done mm-hmm. is we took the shop type software, and it powers the company, which is called althealth.me.me. And it's essentially a social media platform and marketplace for people who struggle with health issues. And so if you look at it and go there in the first place, it's kind of like a mini Facebook where people can find articles and content about various health issues. We have things called channels, which are like Facebook groups, but they're topics. There's a diabetes channel and a Lyme disease channel and a yoga channel and a work from home health and a runner's health and and all sorts of, we're trying to build 30 different channels. And then we've layered on a marketplace of products and services relevant to our audience. And the vendors are offering substantial commissions to the community. So, you know, Average commissions about thirty percent wow. versus three versus three percent on Amazon, five percent. Mm-hmm. 
So we're offering sort of 10 times the commissions. And because of the multi-touch attribution, we can split it amongst multiple people. So the odds of getting paid are substantially increased. And so it provides a whole new revenue model for people who are already content creators in these various verticals. You know, if you're writing about diet and so on for diabetics and you're building a following and you've got 20,000 people reading your blog, well, we can give you an e-commerce store for free to sell products and earn commissions off our platform. And so today we have uh, 11 channel champions. That's what we call the sort of leader, community leader of each mm -hmm. of our channels. And I'm recruiting another 19. I, I'm goal is to get to 30 channel champions. And uh, we hit we hit some pretty big uh, numbers in terms of traffic last month, which, you know, for a startup, we've been in business since January. Uh, we're up up like a thousand percent month over month growth in terms of mm -hmm. traffic. And we're just starting to be in revenue because our marketplace only opened about a month ago. Mm -hmm. So we're just we're just getting started. And um, so it's one of these businesses where you have an opportunity to do good, you know, help people, mm -hmm. but do well financially because of the business model that provides really the, the bulk of the commissions to the community. It's okay. Amazon on its head. Amazon takes the 30 and gives you three. We take five, give you 30. So it creates an incentive for everybody in the community to participate because they can earn these substantial commissions. So to sort of wrap my head around this, uh, this is less for service providers like naturopaths no, or no, they can? could be, they can. So um, for Maybe example, I'll it's a different I, way. Is there anybody who can't be on it? No. I mean, I'm staying away from regulated products, okay? Mm -hmm. So we're not, I'm not selling prescription drugs because okay. it's just, you know, so you can buy supplements from us. Mm -hmm. um, you could buy uh, a yoga class from us. Okay. You could take a, you could buy a book on meditation from us. You could mm -hmm. outfit your whole home gym from us because we got everything from weights to, right? So- it's really depends on the channel. Like people in Lyme disease are focused on various alternative health solutions. Mm -hmm. We have a work from home channel. We're building out uh, relationships with vendors who have ergonomic furniture, mm -hmm. um, you know, mental health and burnout types of solutions. Yeah. Um, fitness, you know, so we have fitness um, and lifestyle. So it just depends on the channel. And our channel champions help us merchandise, like they suggest what products they think people in their community. And there are people mm -hmm. who know about that, like our uh, diabetes channel champion, Lizzie Miller, you know, she's lived with diabetes and she's done the mm -hmm. deep dive. And so she, this is a way for her to give back, but also, you know, do well as being mm -hmm. the leader of this channel. Very cool. Um what uh, what other types of champions, or how do you find your champions, or do they find you? Um, I've been advertising on Indeed and LinkedIn, and mm -hmm. um, you know we interview people. We do sort of quick 
interviews to make sure there's a fit. And then if there is, then we do a deeper dive. And, you know, we're sort of seeing three and four people a day that, you know, is potential uh, mm -hmm. candidates. And it's a, you know, it's a needle in a haystack because people have to both, you know, want to do good, but mm -hmm. also do well. So, you know, some people are just charitable and philanthropic and aren't really interested in the economic aspect. Mm -hmm. And some people are very driven by the economics and not necessarily into the do-gooder thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for the right people who have that balance that, you know, and are entrepreneurial because it's an eat what you kill environment. Like we have a team right now of 15 people and we're not paying anybody. Everybody's building their own community. Everybody, it's a community building exercise. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really a grassroots kind of thing. And somebody who wants to make a difference, like we had a woman, uh, Kate uh, Wozniak from, uh, I think she's from Detroit. She was a college runner, you know, mm -hmm. a competitive middle distance runner. And so she responded to our Indeed ad. And when talking to her, she said, hey, what about a runner's health channel? We could, mm -hmm. you know, focus on, you know, rehab and training and products and fitness and coaches and great idea mm -hmm. so we she's got her channel and so people are coming to us with ideas we have a veterans channel for military vets that was an oh, idea from one of our cool. right so i mean we threw up some channel ideas because you know there were some like lyme disease was the first one selfishly of um but you know th there were some obvious ones um but i didn't think of uh the vets and, and until mm -hmm. josh uh, came along and uh, suggested it. Um, and it's better that way because it's like, like I said, it's a community building thing. So he's building something that's meaningful to him because he's a vet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I interviewed uh, a former bomb tech the other week and vets really, really do need a lot of help. So good on you for putting that channel up. So are you, you looking for also investors as well? Um, eventually, uh, eventually, I, 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 we're trying to do this grassroots, um, mm -hmm. and we're trying to, you know, I'm, 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 I've self, like I've invested myself and self-funded this. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been pretty much a bootstrap exercise, but yeah, like if you, if you take a look, we've come a long way. So um, because I guess a lot of people have bought into the vision and are contributing, so. I don't know. I, I haven't, we're not looking for money right now. I mean, if the right partner came along and had mm -hmm. something to contribute and want, you know, saw our vision, I would be open to it, but, and, you know, it probably would help us grow somewhat faster. But um, what I'm really looking for is I'm looking for channel champions. I'm looking for people who will roll up their sleeves and take on one of our channels and build them. And we, our goal is to have 30 channels, each channel do $5 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. And the channel champion, because of the way these commissions and referral fees work, they're going to make five to 10% of whatever that channel does. Mm -hmm. So that becomes a 250,000 to $500,000 a year business at maturity for the channel champion. And it's a recurring thing because once you've built the community, people are going to buy and sell and share and, and you're really just kind of the ringmaster. Um, that's not a bad side that. hustle. Well, that's right. And everybody, most of the people, it is a side hustle. 
because they need a you know a paycheck because uh, we're all commission based. Mm-hmm. But it could be a pretty significant side hustle, and and it's a ground floor opportunity in the sense that these channels are going to get built on top of the champion. So mm-hmm. that's anyhow. So that's what we're that's what we're looking for. And the other thing I guess is. Um, People who like vendors uh, and the channel champions are helping us identify what products we should be selling because, you know, mm-hmm. thankfully, I don't know anything about diabetes and what people are buying, but mm-hmm. Lizzie does. And so they they bring that level of expertise. Um, and we're just looking for people to come, I guess, come buy something from us and come check it out and come read the content, join, it's free to join, it's free to use, it's free to mm-hmm. post. It's like I said, it's like a Facebook, but it's okay. it's ours. It's not, you know, Zuckerberg or mm-hmm. Musk. It's it's our community. Mm-hmm. Well, I love this idea. And as somebody who's gone through, you know, the medical system over the last 12, uh, 14 years, whatever it's been, and seen all the cracks and seen all the people who can't think out of the box, I think this is a brilliant and much needed idea. So um, as we're going to wrap up here, I'm going to ask you uh, to pick a number soon. But more importantly, how do people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you about being a champion or um, being a service provider or anything with your new channel? It's uh, Jeff, J-E-F-F, at althealth.me. Okay, perfect. Or they can go to the site and go info at althealth.me. It'll it'll find me. But okay. it's it's Jeff. I'm Jeff Jeff. So I have That's to pick Jeff. a number. Uh, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff at Althealth. Between one and thirty-six. And this will just end us off on a little more uh Eight, eighteen. Eighteen. Oh. Do you aspire to be so successful that you can actually have a frenemy? Do you know what a frenemy is? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I guess what I would say about that is mm-hmm. in life, you, the, you relationships ebb and flow. And I've certainly mm-hmm. developed some frenemies or friends who became enemies. I had a business partner mm-hmm. that, you know, we were like blood brothers for 20 years and, Something yeah. happened and it didn't end well. So I don't aspire to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not. I'm not the kind of person who's looking to like be a megalomaniac. I'm trying to do good and do well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, I think if you do the math on alt health, like it'll be a very profitable business for us. Uh, mm-hmm. But we can still give eighty percent of the money to the community. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, frenemies. I'm are at tough. the point where I, I I like to do things at this stage in life that I'm passionate and interested in. Mm-hmm. So I kind of gravitate to these kinds of things, and that's I don't know, that's what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important thing that we should have talked about at the beginning. Is if you're going to take on a passion project, it really has you have to know your why and that it's going to keep you happy because if it become so onerous that it's just crushing you uh it's going to be so hard to go to work every day i agree and i and coming back to what you said at the very beginning of the interview i think recessions and pandemics are great times to start businesses Mm -hmm. um first of all the measure's low 
everything you're growing is from zero. It's the, and then you're going to ride the next wave. It's just timing can be very good. And also there's a lot of opportunity. You can pick over the bones. You can buy things inexpensively out of receivership or bankruptcy. There's, there's a lot of ways to take yeah. advantage of bad times if you have cash in your saddlebags. Mm -hmm. I agree that with that 100%. So unfortunately, we're just about out of time. So I'm going to thank you, Jeff. This has been fascinating. I hope uh, that lots of people contact you and uh, see if, you know, being a partner or a champion with you is, is a viable option for them. And uh, I'm just going to say goodbye to the audience. So thank you all for tuning in. And uh, this is the uh, Dead Man Walking podcast with Repeatedly Dead Fred. And I hope to see you uh, for the next episode. Have a great day. Bye-bye.